Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment. This is the Award Circuit Podcast. It's surreal because you're still in your own life. You know what I mean? I mean, my house is a shit show. Like, my kids are all over. I just walked in the house. They've, like, gone through, like, a hurricane. I'm like, what, like, trash people live here? And yet, yes, there's, like, a BAFTA on the mantle next to some Legos and, like, a plastic cow. And, like, I, I don't know. It's just, like, a very surreal thing. Coda writer and director Sean Hader just won a BAFTA award for adapted screenplay, the latest in a string of kudos for her Apple original film. But award season isn't all glamour for the Helmer. I'm Clayton Davis. On this edition of the Variety Award Circuit podcast, Academy Award nominee Sean Hader is here to talk about the buzz surrounding her landmark film, Coda, as we get closer to Oscar Sunday. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Award Circuit podcast. Stay close. The Best Picture Oscar race is in a dead heat, with any number of paths to victory. But there's another fierce competition years in the making, to be the first streaming giant to win the Academy Awards' most coveted honor. On the television side, Netflix and Amazon each made a play to become the first streamer to win either of the Emmy Awards' top series categories. But Hulu shattered the glass ceiling with The Handmaid's Tale in 2017. On the film side, could Apple Original Films be the surprise streaming giant to take home the Oscar statuette for Best Picture with the delightful family drama Coda? Directed and written by Oscar nominee Sean Hader, Coda has captured the hearts of many industry voters. You're embarrassed? Really? Everyone! Little dog, big dog. Come on. And... Pants! Pants! Push. Medium dog! <laughs> Big dog! <laughs> Engage your core! Blow it out! Push, 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 push! Push, 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 push! Engage your core! Push, 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 push! More, more! And if you feel like I feel, baby, come on, come on. Starting its journey at the Sundance Film Festival in January 2020, where it was purchased for a record-setting $25 million, Coda has generated a slow but steady rise in buzz and projections. Now with high-profile wins from the Screen Actors Guild Awards for Cast Ensemble and Supporting Actor for Troy Kotzer, can the film actually go the distance? I recently spoke with Sean Hader, who just won the BAFTA Award for Adapted Screenplay. We talked about that victory, as well as the film's impact and history-making wins on the road to the Oscars. But first, I noted how she probably never imagined, when starting in this business, how one day she could win a coveted BAFTA honor. Actually, the funniest part was like leaving because they give it to you. Like you just take it with you. I assumed they would pack it up and send it to you, but instead, and my bag was so heavy that I had to just carry it on. And I'm like, I need to put this in something. And meanwhile, I ran into Troy at Heathrow and Troy's just like walking through Heathrow, like BAFTA in hand 
owning it completely. I had like hidden mine away in like a little gift bag and like put it through the metal detector. <laughs> like, um, that, no. that Troy Kotzer is trouble. He's trouble in the most fun way possible. Yes, yeah. yeah. Owning owning the walkthrough he throw BAFTA in hand was the best the best thing ever. Uh, after what's felt like a million years, Coda is out in the world. It is critically acclaimed. It is nominated for three Academy Awards, and you are feeling dot 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 how. <laughs> <laughs> It's surreal because you're still in your own life. You know what I mean? I mean, my house is a shit show. Like my kids are all over. I just walked in the house. They've like gone through like a hurricane. I'm like, what like trash people live here. And yet, yes, there's like a BAFTA on the mantle next to some Legos and like a plastic cow. And like, I, I don't know. It's just like a very surreal thing to kind of have these moments, but they're kind of outside of your own life. Um, and also, you know, the work part of it. I mean, I'm, I'm show running little America right now and we're shooting. So it's like this wild thing of kind of trying to be on set, but also, you know, throw on really uncomfortable heels and go to a red carpet and, and go back to set. And you're already tall, by the way. So I don't actually don't appreciate that you wear heels when you're at award shows. I'm sort of loving it because I think I spent my whole, all of my teenage years just feeling so giant and wanting to be yeah. small and like, you know, trying to be invisible. And so there is something about being 5'10 and then putting on heels and being like, I'm cool with being a giant right yeah. now. <laughs> feels good does feel good so uh, yeah i mean listen i've been very happy for you and the entire cast and not a lot of people know uh that you got a dream cast and everyone's going to pale in comparison from here on out you will never have a cast as wonderful as this one i'm just gonna kind of lay that out for you because you have well, marley matlin it's just, yeah it's not just acting wise it's like it's they're good people they're mm -hmm. really fun and they're fun to hang out with and we all love each other that that is rare it's infectious I mean, I hope it, I, we are having a lot of fun, but I also think everybody's in kind of a raw place. I mm. like everyone feels like they're coming out of COVID and seems kind of open and vulnerable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've, what cr other I've, cr I've cried a lot this year. I've cried a lot and I've hugged more than I've ever hugged before after like, as we got into this end of, of COVID and going to award shows, people are hugging like they never, like journalists do not hug each other and they are hugging right now. That's how sensitive we are. Um, but I totally interrupted you, Clayton. You were, you were starting to lay out my beautiful cast, which I uh, yeah. allow you to do. Oh yes, of course. I mean, Marley <laughs> Matlin, Troy Kotzer, Amelia Jones, and Daniel Durant. Like just... And I mean, that's just tip of the iceberg. There's obviously many, many more people, but um, what, I guess, was it as joyful as it seems shooting with them and being their director? Yes. I mean, it was, the thing I always say about this movie, like this movie was really hard to make. I mean, we had 30 days to shoot. We had not enough money we were out on fishing boats, like three miles out to sea. We were contending with weather and scrambling right and left. So, you know, 
there were two things happening. Like logistically, the movie was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Creatively, it was the most fulfilling thing I've ever done. So to have those two things happening simultaneously and to realize that we're all in it together and that they loved the movie as much as I did. And I don't just mean my cast, also my collaborators, you know, my head department heads who, my AD who was fighting for his life for the, you know, with his life for this movie, like my DP, Paolo Vidobro, my production designer, Diane, who was roaming around Gloucester with me, talking our way into every weird fishing bar and like out on the boats with these guys to to try to get them to let us use their boats. So it was really, um, when I talk about the family that we made making the movie, you know, the visible family is my cast, but the crew really felt like that too. And I think everybody emerged from this film a changed human being. I think we were opened up everybody by the process of making the movie by how we did it and what we were able to do. And, and I think, I think, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I think everybody would say that who worked (laughs) on the film. Yeah. This this is amazing. And, uh, and I think it's always interesting to get to know how, um, you make plans and God laughs. It's a very famous saying that someone told me, uh, a long time ago, you moved to Hollywood to be an actress and a screenwriter and i don't i always want to ask you like was directing ever in your like did you see it anywhere down the line or did this happen by accident well everybody else saw it i mean when i was (laughs) when i was 10 years old i would throw these birthday parties where i would send i would write out a full character description for everybody coming to the party and i would there it would you would get like a character breakdown with a full bio and then your relationship to everyone else at the party you would have to show up in costume in character then i would sort of direct the entire party i would get murdered at my own party and i would go upstairs and put on a bald cap and um glasses and come down and interrogate all my guests as the detective about my own murder um by the way are we are we is is this a uh are we realizing right now that chris miller and phil lord took your life and put it in the after party that's on apple oh basically i guess this is plagiarism (laughs) we just found plagiarism well we watched you grow up it's, I mean, truly, and it's, it's kind of amazing that actually looking back, you, you know, and it was wild for my 40th birthday party, my sister and two of my writer friends dug up the script from my like sixth grade birthday party. And they had everyone come as the characters from when I was like 10 or 11. And I had to interrogate people at the party. And as they were giving me their bios, I was realizing like, I, this was what I had written, (laughs) you know, so many years ago. So that being said, I think it was in my DNA in a way I almost had to explore. Like I started out as a total theater kid and went to Carnegie Mellon conservatory for trained as an actor and moved to New York and did theater in New York and whatever else you do as an actor, you know, getting raped on law and order, whatever (laughs) whatever else there was for me. Um, And then and then moved out to LA, but I, but writing was always my thing all along. Like, I think writing was always the thing that was my outlet. It was, you know, something that I was knew I was good at and passionate about. And when I moved out here, I got involved in a lot of groups that were like writers and actors working together. So there was a group at, um, there was a spinoff of 
Naked Angels in New York that was called Tuesdays at nine where actors and writers would come and actors would cold read like 10 pages of the writer's work. And so I started going as an actor and then realized, well, I'm writing and I'm a writer and I should bring in stuff here as a writer. And so I started doing that. And then I ended up applying to AFI to the directing workshop for women with a short film. Actually, you know who gave me the idea? I took a cooking class and Alexander Payne was my partner in cooking class. (laughs) Wait, what? (laughs) Randomly. And I was talking to him about how I wanted to be a filmmaker. And he was like, oh, well, have you applied to like the Sundance lab or the AFI directing workshop or more like all these things? And I was like, I didn't really know about all these labs. And he like told me about. Did you wait? Did you know who he was at that moment? Oh, fully. And, you know, it took me a minute because I'm like, there we are like making. I don't remember what we were making. It was like a Greek cooking class. It was very random. And uh and we, yeah, but he was like, do this. And I, uh, he was like, you need to apply to these labs and, and like actually, you know, pursue it, which is so funny. And I did, I went to AFI, I made my first short film there. And then my first short film mother went to Cannes and won an award at Cannes and sort of started opening up these doors. Um, but it's interesting. It, when I got on a set and started directing, it just felt like the best use of me. Mm-hmm. It was all these skills. You know what I mean? It was kind <laughs> of like my writer brain and, you know, my acting brain. And then also I come from a family of visual artists. Both of my parents are artists um, and my sister is as well. So it's sort of, I grew up kind of in thinking about the world in a very visual way. So it kind of combined all those things and just felt like the right place for me. So there wasn't longing of like, oh, I'm meant to be an actor. And actually like, I'm pretty uncomfortable in front of a camera. I think I loved theater. I loved the experience of all working together to make something. Um, But I get that now. And then working with actors is my most favorite thing. I just love, I love that. I love sculpting a performance and and that intimate connection and being in there with them and, and finding it. That is, first of all, I need to know who's a better cook, you or Alexander Payne? I don't know. I mean, neither of us were very successful at whatever we were doing. I think we were making, um, what are the like grape leaf, like roll, like the lamb and. Oh, I was, oh, like, like. I would say gyro, but heroes or like domades, like the grape. I have no idea. We'll just keep throwing yeah. it. We'll food words until yeah. I know Spanakopita and gyros, and that's it. <laughs> like I'm really bad at that stuff. Um, you hail from the great state of Massachusetts. Are you a Red Sox fan, by the way? I am, but not like like my sister is or my family. Ooh. Like I, I, I'm like a I'm a fair weather fan with all sports. Like when I'm living in a place and then they go to the world series or they, (laughs) then I'm like the biggest fan, but otherwise I just don't pay attention. I probably couldn't name any Red Sox right now if I tried. All right. So we'll deal with that another time then. (laughs) I do Um, have a Red Sox cap that I wear just because I'm from Boston and you have to, but you know, but not so much that got it. Um, So do you remember the movie that kind of did it for you? Now you said you came from a visual, a very visual arts family, but do you remember the movie that you were like, "Mm, I want to do that. I want to do what they're doing. My answer is going to be funny because um, well, okay. I think I'm going to say the movie when I kind of realized what a director was, (laughs) was when I was, probably in like eighth grade and went to see do, do the right thing. And 
it was the first time it clicked for me that someone had made all these choices and that a movie could do that. Like a movie could be so such an expression of somebody's voice and, and also such an expression of society and social change. And, you know, I, I remember leaving the movie theater after seeing that when I was probably 13 and just being like, Oh, that's what a director is. Like, that's what you can do with a movie. Um, you know, I, Spike Lee and I are very <laughs> different <laughs> directors. It's not like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, but I think, and then there were a lot of directors, I think women directors that I looked at as I was kind of coming up, whether it was, you know, Nicole Holofson or Lynn Shelton or, um, kind of Andrea Arnold, like just women that I really, Jane Campion, who I looked up to and just thought like, oh, those are, you know, women that are doing this because there weren't a lot of examples of that. And it was exciting to me. And the idea that I've always been a storyteller, but, oh, I could actually be that, you know, because I think it's pretty recent that we've, that there are, (laughs) you know, women directors working and out there. Um, And I think for a long time, it just felt like a very male thing. And maybe that was even why writing felt easier first. After the break, more from Sean Hader. From Los Angeles, this is the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, and I'm Clayton Davis. We're chatting with Oscar nominee Sean Hader, who is up for an Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay, while her film Coda is also nominated for Best Picture of the Year. As we return to our conversation, I'm noting how interesting it is that our inspiration and love for cinema can come from the most unlikely places. Denzel Washington this year, I interviewed him, and he said, it's very interesting sometimes you don't think what you do for someone else like you're just thinking about like i'm making a movie or whatever and someone else sees it and they get inspired to do something and sure spike has no idea that he that he influenced sean Hader. just the same way you probably don't know that you influence a little you know next sean Hader, jane campion six-year-old that watched coda this year and it and it's a very um i guess it's just one of those things like of uh what is it like if a leaf falls and yes. that whole like belief, like what, what did you influence? Like, th- th- does that ever cross your mind about your responsibility in film? I think, oh my gosh, I was trying to remember the other day. Cause you were there. Weren't you at the um, AFI honors? Were you there? I was not there. Oh, um, I'm going to butcher it because <laughs> it's was such a good quote. And Morgan Freeman was, presenting um honoring Sidney Poitier and had this amazing quote and now I'm bringing it up and I'm not going to remember it right but he was talking about movies as orderly agents of change for society um and it was a better quote than that but that a movie and I think that's why I bring up do the right thing is I think it was also the first time I realized that movies can have a kind of power like in culture, right. Where you, you, you could create a ripple that could start a massive sea change. Yeah. And I don't think I wasn't thinking about that when I made Coda, 
I was honestly thinking about telling this story and, and it did strike me, you know, that when I tried to look at movies that had deaf characters in them or deaf representation, there was nothing to look at. Like I was going back 35 years to look at children of a lesser God. There were like a couple films here and there, but there was nothing, you know, there was no film I could see that where there was a deaf family sitting around the table or had any kind of portrayals. And I think the idea that, um, you know, Troy, when he was 17, saw Marley Matlin win an Oscar. And that meant to Troy that he could do this with his life. Now, Troy struggled for 30 something years, 35 years as an actor. He's never made any money. He's kept at it, even though everybody was telling him no. And nothing was pointing to the fact that he would ever have this kind of success, but he had seen it once. Right. And he Mm -hmm. was like, maybe that could be me, or maybe I could get there or, or I just love this so much that I'm going to keep working at it. Like the idea that there's a generation of kids now who can see themselves in this family, that there are CODAs out there who've never seen their story told who, you know, Troy was even saying like, my daughter was embarrassed at school because no one understood her, or her life or whatever. And she, her friends are reacting totally differently to this movie. And they're looking at this and it's cool. And she's, they're intrigued and they're excited by, by her life and they want to know more about it. And so that's the thing that really moves me is like, oh my gosh, not that you create the movement, but that you're like the pebble that kicks off at the top of the hill. And then it picks up steam and more rocks start to fall. And suddenly there is a big change that happens. Um, And the same thing, honestly, when I was writing on Orange is the New Black, one of the first episodes I, or the first episode I wrote was introducing Laverne Cox's character. Mm. um, And it was a trans character on screen. And I took that responsibility really seriously and did a lot of outreach in the trans community and interviewed a lot of people and just wanted to make sure that, you know, at the time transparent hadn't come out, there weren't these other shows to look at of, you know, modeling of like what a trans character could be on TV. And when I saw Laverne on the cover of time magazine, I was like the same feeling of, Oh my God, I was this little part of this thing, but I'm watching society shift and change. And how cool is that, that art can do that or storytelling can do that. And that's the best part of what we do. It's, you know, movies are, empathy making machines like they if you can watch something and feel for the character you're seeing on screen you do open up a little bit more as a human and have a kind of understanding that you might not have had otherwise so I don't know that's that's the coolest part of this to me and it's and it's honestly in shooting little America too I mean that show does that for immigrant stories in a way that I think we haven't seen either so it's I don't know I'm interested in storytelling as a means for change. Yes. And, and, and you are, cause I mean, listen, this is part of, and I was just talking about this the other day, um, you know, alongside Coda uh, there's the short film audible uh, that's nominated this year. Last year we had sound of metal uh, nominated for best picture. Uh, you know, there is a seemingly, openness in Hollywood for different stories now a lot of a lot of people are walking the walk talking the talk and we I I always don't I always feel that the enemy of uh progress is complacency 
Uh-huh. We'll sit back and we're like, oh, everything's cool now. And then we won't have a death character for the next 40 years. Um, and listen, I, I saw Children of a Lesser God really late in life. My first, my, the first thing I ever saw Marley Matlin in was Hear No Evil in the 90s because I'm a uh-huh. 90s kid. Um, and I don't know why I was watching it. It was like nine or 10, but that's what I saw. And then I was like, oh, then through that, I got, I went through research and then I was like, oh my God, she won an Oscar. Uh, also, her movie was the first movie directed by a woman to be nominated for Best Picture. And now you are here, nominated for Best Picture. The movie stands a very good chance of winning. And I want to know what that would mean to a Miss Sean Hader. Which, by the way, oh, could we also, before we get moved through that, the way people can't say your name drives me nuts. <laughs> And also the way that we don't spell your name correctly in articles drives me nuts because I take the time to put the ax, ax, a little ax, roof on the A. The roof on the A. A circumflex. Is that what it's you called? Know, it is called that. And so so I'm my mom is from Wales. My dad's okay. from Hungary. Um, my name is Welsh. And when I was just in London at the BAFTAs, <laughs> I met two different Sean's spelled my way. Yes. So there, it is a more common name there. Got it. But yes, it's been a lifelong struggle. It's been cyan. <laughs> it's been, I had a chemistry teacher that called me Stan for like an entire year just because it was S-I-N. Um, and then I was always girl Sean because I grew up, you know, in Cambridge and it was a lot of Irish kids. So Sean's. <laughs> lots of Sean's and I, so there were always like two boy Sean's in my class and I would be girl Sean. So it's, it's okay. I'm sort of used to people messing up my name but now it is a sign that you're progressing in the world and like becoming more successful when people know how to say your name i've noticing that i'm yeah. correcting people less so as you should cool. yeah. yeah um but yes you so you might win best picture <laughs> so about that um how, how, how does that feel that this movie could get the notoriety that it could get trumping so much history trumping so much like it, it just the little engine that could I mean, it would be the ultimate underdog story. I, I mean, I, I don't know. This has been a ride beyond my wildest dreams for this movie. All of it. I remember being at Sundance being like, oh my God, is anyone watching this virtual Sundance? And are we going to get a distributor at all? Is anybody going to see this film or did we just you know, work for years and pour our hearts into this thing. And it's going to sit on a shelf somewhere and no one will ever see it. So everything has felt amazing. And I would say there's might not be anything that will top that SAG awards win when I got to watch my cast get up there in front of a room full of their peers and accept that together. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. I was completely overwhelmed and um, moved. And it just felt like, I don't know, like those guys have worked so hard and they so deserve it. And, but I didn't think that other people would recognize it. So I think all of it has just been this amazing feeling of like, I know personally that the movie moves people. Um, but then there's also kind of a sense of like what an important movie looks like. And there's, and that's a real thing, you know, it's sort of, um, Coda's funny and it's weird. (laughs) 
And it's, you know, I think it moves people and it touches people. Um, but it's a different kind of movie. And I, you know, I was talking to, I love that I can mention this, like, as though we're, we are kind of friends, yeah. we've been on panels together, but Guillermo del Toro, um, mm. and you know, my new friend, Guillermo del Toro, Yep. but we were talking and I was saying, it is so weird for all of these movies to be in a category together because he was saying like nightmare alley is a completely different animal than Coda. Like those are Dune and Coda are completely different things. Like they're not even, you know, yes, they're both stories and movies, but everything about them is so different. And he said, again, this is just going to be a whole interview of me butchering other people's <laughs> getting them wrong. But he, he did say, he said, oh, it's like, he said, it's like um, you give someone a pineapple and a pork rind and uh and a fish and you say what's your favorite fruit and they say the pork rind (laughs) (laughs) and you're like no that's kind of what it feels like it's just absurd to go like here are these movies which one's the best and it's maybe it's just the storyteller in me and the, the film buff in me that appreciates filmmaking and and movies and how hard it is to make a movie and how much harder it is to make a good movie um it's a miracle that these movies exist, movies exist. And it's a miracle that they are all as good as they are. So I don't know. It feels incredible to be in this place. I'm so happy to have people seeing the film and be honored. Um, and I can't, I don't know. I don't know what I would, <laughs> I would be psyched. I would be beyond <laughs> excited, but I, but I am not, you, you know, not putting your mind there yet. Not really, because yeah. this has been the journey. It's like yeah. this whole thing has been so unexpected and wild, and it's just taking it as it comes and appreciating every bit of it because it's rare that this happens. Yep. And amazing indie films come out all the time that never get anywhere close to this kind of recognition or publicity or get seen like this. So I know I made one. Like I, <laughs> you know, I remember like that my first movie came out and was well reviewed, and then it was like plop, like uh, nobody really saw it. And yeah. and so it is that thing where you just go like, I feel so lucky to be here. I feel so lucky to be having conversations with Guillermo del Toro about filmmaking. Like, what the hell? Who would have <laughs> ever thought that I would be there? Um, so it's amazing, and it's to be in these rooms, and especially this year is like such a powerhouse year of people yeah. that, I mean, these are filmmakers, Denis Villeneuve and Steven Spielberg and, you know, bunch of, a bunch of up and comers that are just trying to make it the same way you are. Yeah. Just <laughs> trying to scrappy out on a fishing boat, just <laughs> up to their knees and fish, just yeah. doing makeup on their actors. Cause they don't have a makeup person. <laughs> That's how you do it. Uh, my last question for you. Cause I know you got to go. What are you working on next? I know you have a little America, but I know there's something brewing and I always feel like you'll tell me. Well, um, one of the things that I'm super excited about that I'm writing is I'm working with Judy human on an adaptation of her book, being human, which is about the 504 protest, um, which is such an amazing story. And I maybe saw crip camp, but that um, Jim and Nicole made an incredible doc about this event, but it's such an incredible story because it's a piece of history that none of us have learned in school. I'm not saying none of us, but most of us who the mainstream schools did not learn. And it was the most kind of intersectional movement ever. Like the, you know, a group of 
disabled people took over a federal building and held it for 30 days. The Black Panthers showed up and brought them food and stayed. And I mean, it became this like incredible event and it's an amazing story. And so I've been, you know, doing a ton of research and interviewing all the people that were involved in that at the time and finding out all kinds of dirty, juicy stories from what went on in that building. And I'm excited about it. (laughs) I am so excited for that. That's Sean Hader, Oscar nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay for CODA. Coming from Apple Original Films, it's now streaming on Apple TV+. And that's it for this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. The Award Circuit Podcast is edited by Drew Griffith and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. Until next time, for Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis. We'll see you on the circuit.